0: Um, I'd like you to take a Bible, uh, either one on the floor there or your own Bible, and we want to read first, so if you'll uh, go ahead and find Proverbs chapter 1, and then stand and I'll read for us today. Proverbs 1, oh my goodness. I should read it off of this because it might. uh... No, this is good. All right. Listen, my son, to your father's instruction and do not forsake your mother's teaching. For they are a garland to grace your head and a chain to adorn your neck. My son, if sinful men entice you, do not give in to them. If they say, come along with us, let's lie in wait for innocent blood, let's ambush some harmless soul, let's swallow them alive like the grave, and whole like those who go down to the pit. We will get all sorts of valuable things and fill our houses with plunder, cast lots with us. We will all share the loot. My son, do not go along with them, do not set foot on their paths. For their feet rush to evil, they are swift to shed blood. How useless to spread a net where every bird can see it. These men lie in wait for their own blood. They ambush only themselves, and such are the paths of all of those who go after ill-gotten gain. It takes away the life of those who get it. This is God's word. Amen Amen and amen. Please be seated. You know, I thought about uh, this passage a great deal this past week, and i um, got to ask you a question. Did you ever choose to do something that was a little bit suspect, uh, only to follow through with it and regret it later? Uh, this would certainly be me, uh, particularly on one occasion when I was uh, perhaps not much older than most of this group uh, here to my right. I was uh, going from point A to point B on a Vespa scooter. I'm not sure if you're familiar with a Vespa. Uh, Scooters are very popular in parts of South Asia, uh, and they're making a bit of a comeback here in the United States as well. But I was, oh, perhaps uh, 17, 18 years old, and I was going along the highway on my Vespa Vespa scooter and I decided to take a shortcut it was kind of a dirt field a dirt path between two main roads and so I started and it got a little bit bumpy and so forth but I saw up ahead uh, two mounds that were pretty close together about four feet high or so and you know you go up and uh, down and then up like that kind of a thing and I'd seen some motocross on TV And so I thought, you know, this is my opportunity here. And I, the idea was, I'm going to gas out on this little motor scooter, go up the first hill, sail over the ditch, and then come down on the downhill side of the second mound. And so I hit it. And uh, the problem, of course, is that all of the weight of a Vespa is in the back. It's where the engine is. And so. When instead of going up like this, I actually went up and then went like this when I was airborne. (laughs) And uh, the motor scooter and I landed in a pile right in the ditch there between the two mounds. And uh, thankfully, I I was okay. And a few scratches on the motor scooter, but it was okay as well. And I said, you know, I'm never going to do that again. And uh, that's one of the things that I've kept my promise. I I haven't done that. Years later, I I related that story to my four sons. And I said, hear, my son, your father's instruction. If you're on a motor scooter and the the mound, uh, the trail entices you to jump, do not consent type thing. Uh, You know, our life experiences as... uh, Moms and dads uh, can be both positive and uh, negative, and it can serve it, both the positive and the negative can serve as teaching tools uh, for our sons and for our daughters. And if they listen, they'll be spared a great deal of aggravation and trouble and pain, and a whole lot better off for it. Now, in the first nine chapters of Proverbs, as I'd mentioned before, it really uh, is all about a mom and a dad to giving instructions to their sons and their daughters to live wisely. And it's extremely easy to feel a measure of guilt as a parent when it comes to child rearing. If my four sons were here today, they're all grown, and if they were to stand on this stage and look out at you, they could testify of my own uh, paternal inadequacies. And in case you're wondering, The answer is no, I'm not going to invite them to do that, Uh, you know, but they they easily could, Uh, you know, but uh, they have given Suzanne and I a number of grandchildren, and uh, uh, in case you're wondering, the answer is yes. We're doing a lot better job second time around, and so it's God's gracious way of of helping us uh, continue to grow in wisdom and in grace. You know, it takes the input of many people to raise a godly seed here. And uh, it's not just parents, but the body of Christ. And uh, I'm so thankful, as uh, many of you are, for the adults that have worked hard to build into our our young people, our youth, uh, our, our small children. And, you know, the... The body or the family of, of Christ can serve as something of a, uh, of a life preserver to the uh, organic uh, family itself. Uh, we can do those kinds of things, and that um, uh, will keep us from throwing in the towel during those tough times. Now, our passage today, as uh, mentioned by Fidel, is the subject of peer pressure, which means that we're just talking about front-page news and everybody knows what it's all about. But it says in verse 8, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Uh, So, child training, youth, teenagers, college students, is um, always encased in the metric of love and affection. Now, some associate child training with the rod, you know. Uh, beat, the, you know, use the rod or spoil the child. Uh, beat the child, he will not die type thing. But in reality, you know, if, if you have a, a son or a daughter who's incorrigible for a little bit of time, they may need an occasional swat on the bum, so to speak, you know. But wise children really, they don't need that. Sometimes you can just look at them and talk to them. And uh, the reason for following parental training is given to us in verse 9. It promotes an attractive life, and it says there, it's a graceful wreath to your head and ornaments around your neck. So if you want to be attractive young people, if you want to uh, look good to the community, it it comes from just obeying the wise instruction and the counsel of a a godly mom and dad. You know, I think about Joseph, way back in the Old Testament here, when he was uh, given a position of real authority by the pharaoh of Egypt uh, during that time, when he was a really second in command, the Pharaoh took off his signet ring and gave it to him and then dressed him in fine linen and then gave him a gold necklace, which he wore during this time in which he was ruling the nation of Egypt right under Pharaoh himself. And that was a gift of honor, all of those gifts that the Pharaoh gave to Joseph. And so it will be the same way for the young person that heeds the counsel of wise parents. You see, wise counsel doesn't straitjacket freedom, it broadens it. Now, the admonition comes in verse 10. So if you want to look at that, it says, My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. Two very important terms are there. The first word is the word sinners, and it's in the plural form, which means, which implies, at least to me, that a single voice can oftentimes be easily resisted, but a, a, a common call from a number of individual is sometimes really difficult to resist. It becomes a very formidable force. Now, all of us sin, but the word for sinner here is used for a hardened a a criminal that just uh, habitually engaged in all kinds of deviant behavior. Uh, It doesn't reflect the whole of uh, of humanity. We're we're all sinners and we understand that, but this is a a special term that goes way beyond that. Uh, It refers to hardened individuals who habitually engage in deviant behavior, and what the mom and the dad are doing is to stay away from that element. Mark Twain put it well. It's a whole lot easier to stay out than it is to get out. Now, the second term, the first term is sinners. The second term is the word entice. And it's a fisherman's term. Uh, and it's very significant. It doesn't suggest outward force, but inward allurement. For instance, the worm on the end of a hook entices the fish to bite down by accenting the pleasures and concealing the consequences. You see, the fish thinks that he's about ready to get a meal, when in reality, he's about ready to become a meal. And sin promises life. It always does, but it always delivers death. And it can be intoxicating for a season, but eventually, it leads to ruin. You know, when King David who was a godly man. I mean, he wrote most of the Psalms. Uh, His walk with the Lord is something that I can look at in the Psalms and only say, my goodness, what a godly man he was. But he committed adultery with Bathsheba. And when he did that, he saw only the pleasure of the woman. He didn't see the defilement of a good friend's wife. He didn't see the murder of a faithful soldier. He, he didn't see the death of the baby itself. He simply that one, he didn't see the fact that that one act would trigger a life of misery that would follow him the rest of his days on earth. And so we ask the questions, well, what in the world are the enticements put forth to a young man, for instance, to get into a malicious orbit by those who dishonor the Lord? And again, verse 11 through 14, talk to us about that. It says, come with us. Let us lie in wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without cause. Let us swallow them like Sheol, even whole as those who go down to the pit. We'll find all kinds of precious wealth. We'll fill our houses with spoil. We'll throw in your lot with us. We all share one purse. Now, these are two very important enticements, very powerful enticements. And the first one is status, you know, and it has to do with, status has to do with your position in relation to others. You know, all of us have a reference group. All of us have uh, people with whom we can test our ideas and hone our attitudes. And if that reference group has been around for a while, there will always naturally uh, have a pecking order. And when the pecking order is established, we're all trying to figure out how to get up on the next rung of the ladder. But we need to keep in mind that the status that we seek so much in life itself is somewhat paradoxical because we don't like other people that see it. For instance, we don't like uh, name droppers. Uh, we don't particularly, aren't particularly enamored with those people that uh, uh, are enamored with their own skill, with their own abilities, with uh, their own appearance. Uh, we don't like scholars who are always given as their latest list of publications and those kinds of things. And yet, even though we don't like it in other people, we oftentimes can engage in it ourselves. And uh, status seekers, and that would include you and me, when we seek it, we're not really being authentic. We're not living for the joy that comes through achieving what we value for its own sake. Always fishing for compliments. Uh, We're always trying to make up for our own moral deficiencies sometimes, uh, internal deficiencies trolling for strokes. And yet, interestingly, while we don't like it in others, we often do it ourselves. And Proverbs implies this. Do yourself and everybody else a favor. Ask God to wrench the vanity from your own impoverished soul and fill you with the beauty and the worth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it's interesting, the carrot that the if you please, criminal element of society holds out to a group of people is simply this, money that's painlessly gained. You know, in our culture, money has far more status than character. And some are willing to kill in order to get more of it. And killing occurs in a culture that disrespects the spiritual element of humanity. In other words, when spiritual reality is annulled, Life can be rationalized away. And what's really interesting, both life and death are usually about money. For instance, an organization like Planned Parenthood doesn't want money to be a part of the abortion rhetoric. But when you look at the bottom of the funnel, that's exactly what you find. Now, there's a second enticement in this group, and that is companionship. It says uh, in verse 12, 11 and 12, it says, let us, the, the words let us occurs three times. Let us lie in wait. Let us ambush. Let us swallow. And then we shall occurs three times in verses 13 and 14. We shall find wealth. We shall fill our houses. We shall have one purse. You know, we're good old boys. Throw in your lot with us. We've got community. And the carrot of community itself is uh, very alluring to those who are lonely. And particularly, a, a lot of young people would rather be wrong than alone. And that's why community is so important within the body of Christ. Now, the admonition of the father is repeated in verse 15. He says, my son... Don't walk in the way with them. Mom could easily be saying the same thing to the daughter. My daughter, don't walk in the way with them. It's a slippery slope, and once you're on it, you're going to go all the way down. Now, the father offers two reasons for not following this group. He says, first of all, they're evil, and they hasten to shed blood. And second, they're stupid because you don't spread a baited net when the birds are looking at it. In other words, you know, the diversity of the Bible always amazes me. You know, if the Apostle Paul were talking about this same stuff in Proverbs 1, and he lived a thousand years later than that, but if the Apostle Paul were saying, you know, stay away from the criminal element of society, he would say, hey, listen, don't embrace that ungodly element Look at your position in Jesus Christ. Your sins are forgiven. You're a trophy of his grace. In light of all that God has done for you in the past, is doing for you in the present, in light of all that he's gonna continue to do in your life and make you more beautiful in the future, don't associate with that kind of society. Now Solomon on the other, that was Paul, but Solomon on the other hand, who lived 3,000 years ago, He says kind of the same thing, but he does it a little bit differently than Paul. He says, they're stupid. They're dumber than birds. Even birds know to avoid a a trap that they see actually being built. But the criminal is unaware of his own destruction and the fact that he is creating it. Now, the moral of the father's exhortation is found in verse 19. So are the ways of everyone who gains by violence. You know, Solomon had a dad, and his dad is even more famous than Solomon, I think, and that would be David. And uh, David wrote Psalm 1, and we looked at it a a number of months ago here at uh, Harvest. But in Psalm 1, David says this, Blessed is the one who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, who does not... Uh, stand in the path of sinners, and who does not sit in the seat of scoffers. What you see in that particular line there is the downward movement from walking to standing to sitting. And uh, ultimately, it involves greater and greater involvement with evil, illustrated in the life of Lot, Lot is a a character that's mentioned in the book of Genesis. He was a nephew of Abraham. But Lot, first of all, he broke from the people of God and and identified with the wrong culture. And in the process of that, he he went from walking, walking to standing to sitting. Separated from Abraham and the people of God, he pitched his tent and dwelt with those that dishonored God. And then ultimately, he ended up sitting at the gates of Sodom. Now, in Semitic thought, where you sit is where you belong. And Lot believed in God, but he compromised with evil and identified with the wrong culture. And in the the process of all of that, he discovered that the allurement of evil never really delivers the promise that it advertises, Now, David uh, does something a little bit different. David goes right to the heart, and he says, Those who delight in the Lord, in Psalm 1, shall be like a tree planted by streams of water that yields fruit in its season. And even in drought-like conditions, its, its leaf does not wither. Now, in contrast, David says, The wicked are not so, they're like chaff which the wind blows away." And the word "shaft" is just simply speaks of the outer husk of a valuable kernel on the inside. And during the time of threshing, what they ended up doing is finding a plateau at a high level, perhaps on a hill or a mountain where the wind was blowing, and they would take the seed, the kernel that's valuable, and the outer husk that covered the kernel, throw it into the air, it would land on the stone, And after doing it several times, the husk would break loose from the valuable kernel and the heavy kernel would fall to the ground and be gathered and the husk would be blown away. And that's what chaff is. You're just blown about wherever inclinations happen to lead you. And oftentimes they lead us in the wrong direction. And here's the point. David in Psalm 1 And David's son Solomon in Proverbs 1 are saying, if you're rooted in God, your life will reflect beauty. If you cozy up to the wicked element of culture, if you engage in that kind of behavior, you're going to be tumbleweed. You're just going to be blown about wherever your inclinations take you. And what it does is it reflects a postmodern generation where truth itself is individualized and freedom from religious dogma is highly valued. And yet, when God is marginalized, virtues will become compromised. And when virtues are compromised, we have no meaning. Anything goes. We're just blown about like chaff. You know, some years back, there was a very controversial movie called Indecent Proposal. I read a a big article on that whole thing uh, by a Christian individual. But in the movie itself, you have Robert Redford going to Demi Moore and Woody Harrelson and offering the couple $1 million if he can sleep with the wife for one night. And what the, the actual movie considers is the crucial question for the age in which we live right now, is there anything in the world that's always considered non-negotiable, no matter what the enticement, no matter what the threat? Is there anything that's a given? Is there anything that's a root? Because if there's nothing at the core of our being to which we are absolutely committed, then we're not in there. There's no you. There's no me in it. We're just like chat. And both Solomon and David spent a great deal of time being blown about because of the things that they did wrong. And Solomon is writing to a, a different generation there in, in our passage today. And he says, listen. He says, I, 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 here's your chance, uh, people of harvest, youth of harvest, adults of harvest, to not follow my bad example Of what I did. You can learn from my negative experience here. And so he writes that. And uh, let me share with you just a couple of thoughts. I've written them down at the end of your little sermon outline there, but uh, of what uh, moms and dads and grandparents uh, can help do uh, tactfully. Uh, The first one would be teach, just instructing young people of the importance of good companions and uh, the danger of hanging with the wrong crowd. And sometimes we need more than words. You know, I remember taking a a couple of my sons to Skid Row and just showing them what was going on. Uh, Tried to get in a conversation. I did get in a conversation with an individual that uh, had gone wrong but had corrected his life and the wisdom that he built into them. You know, it, it's more than words sometimes. Uh, you know, we meet together each Lord's Day under the, not under the pretense that our lives are together. You know, we've walked in here today having made all kinds of mistakes this past week and kind of doing this and says, oh my God, I've got to go back and make things right and so forth. And the great thing is, is that we meet here under the reality that we're not all together. And... Because of the honesty that we can have for one another, we can create a very powerful community where life is really real. And people can come in in any raw fashion that they want to come in or have to come in and know that they're going to be amongst those that are just making progress like they themselves are. So, you know, giving a spiritual anchor to young people. So teaches one. Another one would be model. Uh, Live out your convictions, cultivate our our refusal skills as parents itself. You know, kids are smart, and they don't demand perfection, but they do appreciate authenticity amongst their mom and dad. And then the third one is trust, because things don't always work out the way that we want, even when we're committed, even when we do all of the right things. You know, it's our nature as... uh, believers in wanting to follow the Lord and glorify the Lord, to want a recipe, uh, a formula. Uh, But, you know, while recipes uh, work well in the kitchen, they don't work very well in life itself. Life is a mystery, and that's why we can't live by formulas. We have to live by faith, and that's kind of the way God wants us to do it. So when life is good, cling to God and give him 100% of the glory. When life is rough, cling to God without demanding relief. Uh, just stay with them until God chooses the time. You know, the reason, uh, one of the, the great things about it is that we walk through life itself uh, with the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ always with us. We're never alone. And I think the reason that you're never alone, even though sometimes you feel lonely, but the reason you're never alone is because of our blessed Lord, who was willing to be alone while he was there on that cross. Remember when uh, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In other words, why am I without company as I, as I am here on this cross? And the reason the father turned away from the son is because the son was bearing Your sin and my sin. And so the father who was absolutely perfect turns away from that sin as his own son was bearing it. And because of what Jesus Christ did for us and continues to do in us, we're never, ever alone. We may feel lonely at times, but we're never, ever alone. And we can thank God that we have a personal God uh, who is always with us, always pulling for us. Every time we we do anything good, anything right, uh, he's cheering us on, you know, as our perfect heavenly father who is continually, continually with us. And so we're going to take communion today, and one of the blessed aspects of communion is that... Um, it encourages our hearts and blesses our own souls because of the grace that's been accomplished in our lives. And we take the cup and we take the bread, uh, symbolic of the, the body and the blood of the Christ, who, whose body was broken in sin, but, and the blood was shed in order to pay the price for our sins. So when we take, take the communion... It's really the the crowning aspects of worship. It's just thanking God for what he's doing, for what he'll continue to do, and that he's always going to be with us. Uh, Today we've got a few servers, and uh, there's going to be some music here. But uh, you can come forward and, and receive the elements and then carry them back to your seat and when everyone has been served and the worship team uh, is finished, then I'll come up and we'll take that, those elements together. So if the team will come up here at this time. And uh, let me close in a word of prayer. Our gracious uh, God and Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you that you're personal, uh, you're unseen, but... Uh, your presence with us is uh, complete reality. Even in this, uh, this uh, room that um, is, uh, has been set up and uh, prepared uh, for our time of worship, you're, you're here right with us, Lord. And we pray that as we uh, consider the elements, as we uh, hold them and uh, think about them, that it reflects nothing else than uh, infinite love that you have for us. And uh, I pray, Father, that uh, in these next few moments of worship and contemplation, that it would be the outstanding event in the course of this week for us. And we thank you in Christ's name. Amen.